Welcome to 616 Presents. Today's show is all about design. I am sitting here with Laurel Stanley. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do? Sure. So I'm Laurel Stanley. I'm lead user experience designer at Herman Miller, and I have about 20 plus years of doing user experience design. Well, that's so crazy because you yeah. look like you're 20. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So um, user experience designer, what what is that? Yeah, so I you know, user experience design is a little bit of a mystery for folks. I think some people think they know what it is. And for me, I think the simplest explanation is, is that we do the work to understand our users and their actions and their behaviors and what makes them tick and actually design for that. So in most cases, this is really, it's a, it's a point of frustration for me is when I sit across from someone who calls himself a user experience design designer and they don't actually talk to their end users. They don't spend the time researching and understanding and and really getting in the mind of the user before they do design. So that's where I think I differentiate myself and a lot of professional user experience designers who are talking with the end user, talking with the customers, and building those solutions just for them, creating that bridge for the business, so making sure that the business isn't spending too much of their time thinking inside out versus outside in. So I, I'm the I'm the outside in. You're the outside in. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think what with UX, um, what's always hard is when it comes to design, I think we think of end product. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what's the end product? Because that's what kind of designer you are. Mm-hmm. So what would, what would you say for UX? What is that? What's that end product? Like how do, you know, since we classify it as that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's actually starting to shift because technology is becoming so much more ambient, so much more around us. But if we back into user experience design is creating the end experience. So if it's a product, it could be how does the user work with the product? Is there, are there buttons? Are they touching buttons? Is it clear which buttons to touch for which action? If it's a service, uh, so you're, you're maybe going into hospitality or a hotel or a store, is that service clear? Is it providing a welcoming experience? Is it, is it something that makes them feel good? Um, there, is, there is a New York uh, entrepreneur restauranter called Danny Meyer, mm-hmm. and Danny owns and runs some of the top restaurants in New York City. And he talked about his experiences really all around hospitality and how it makes, the reason why his restaurants are so successful is because everything they do is about the customer experience. So the mm. customer walking in, how they're treated, how the sta- how he treats the staff, how the staff treats the customer, the food, the experience, the ambiance, all of those details are thought about. And that's why people keep on going back to the restaurants because they are having this really holistic, hospitable experience. And Mm -hmm. so I think the ultimate goal for user experience design is to create experiences that users want to interact with. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love you say holistic. Mm -hmm. Because I think in design, that's that's one of the hardest things to do is think holistically and, Mm -hmm. and you know, we talk about the details, we talk about being pulled back and kind of like the overall visual and, and different parts of it. But 
Yeah, that holistic is such a good word to describe that. And I think with UX, it's something I notice. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of, it's everything from the beginning all the way to the details at the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what What do you think? How is your creative process different, maybe, than some other designers, or or do you feel you follow the same process? I think when you break it down, it might seem like we're following the same process. So there's sort of that beginning phase of understanding and you're really trying to work with the business to understand what they think the problem is. And if you think of design, any type of design, is you're a problem solver, right? So you, mm-hmm. if you're an industrial designer, you might be creating a particular product for a particular problem. So you have the understanding phase, you have the discovery phase, mm-hmm. and then you have the point where you're starting to design. So you're starting to create, and you're creating different types of solutions. So that might be similar across all design disciplines. I think the thing that's really different is that we incorporate the user into all of those phases. Mm -hmm. So in the understanding phase, yes, I'm working with the business to understand what the problems are, but then I'm also going to the end user or the, the believed end user to see if they also experience a pain point there that needs to be solved or are there other things that we can uncover for that end user to actually yeah. meet their needs and then go back to the business and go, hey, there's this, there's another potential opportunity for us to explore this or that. So what I think about the ideal state is not that I get a brief from a business unit and you know everything is already set out. The ideal state is I get a brief from a business unit that says, there's this problem, help us solve mm-hmm. it. And then the research and bringing in those user perspectives and making sure we have alignment between the end user and the business, um, that is what's going to create a really yeah. powerful solution. Finding all those opportunities, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. So how did you arrive at your process, or how did you shape it? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. So I want to start back. I want to start with a story. And the story was is that back in... In really early on in my career when I was doing design. So I was I was more web designer, if you could think of it that way, where I was operating on best practices and reading interaction books and reading code books and building websites and web applications off of that and feeling like I could get 80% there just by doing that work. But I knew that there was something missing and it was really the understanding of how well is the stuff I'm designing, how well is the stuff I'm putting out in the world actually meeting the user's needs? Like, are they able to get through you know, from point A to point B, just as I thought mm-hmm. they could? So I was working at Priority Health, building web applications and feeling like we were missing something. So I went to the director of IT and I said, I would love to do a usability bootcamp. And Jacob Nielsen is uh, the guru of usability and he has a company called the Nielsen Norman Group. And still to this day, they do usability mm-hmm. boot camps and, and now user experience design. And uh, so I got approval to go to the boot camp and it was a five-day intensive Situation, And I got back and I was all revved up. I'm like, yes, I now know how we can discover how well these things are working for our users. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for my boss and the director to put some, some processes in place to help me integrate that into the company. 
and I got frustrated. And so I, I had a meeting with my director and I'm like, all right, so you sent me to this, this boot camp. What are we going to do next? And he just looked at me and he said, you tell me. <laughs> and it was a pivotal moment in my career because I realized that even though I was fairly young, that I had the opportunity to lead. And so that is really the first point where I was like, oh, wait, it's on me. It's on me to say, actually, I think we can incorporate some changes into our process to bring in that user feedback to help us understand if we're building the right thing. It was huge. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's a great opportunity, and, and it helps you find your, your process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great story along the way, but what are, some, what are some other things that shaped you as a designer? So I think it was usability, talking with users, then the uh, there's a conference out of New York called the Gel Conference, and that stands for Good Experience Live. And they still, I think that still goes on. I haven't attended in some years, but I went to one of those conferences, and I realized just how many people are trying to build really amazing customer experiences, and what that looks like, both in the digital world and in the physical world, and everything in between. And I realized that the opportunity to create good, holistic customer services was everywhere Mm -hmm. and to create those really memorable, remarkable experiences that we all want. We all want to produce an experience where you're going to create something where the end user, the customer is going to want to tell their friends or going to want to um, use it over and over again because it's sticky and it's lovely and it's memorable. So I I think that that was another point too, is just realizing that even though I might be creating a health insurance web application uh, that doesn't seem to be so interesting on paper, that really everything has the opportunity to sort of touch the end user in a way that makes them walk away with feeling good. So the other great experience I've had, pivotal experience, has been around building ArtPrize. And ArtPrize is an art competition in Grand Rapids. It's the world's largest art prize by public vote. It's a 19-day event where the whole city kind of turns into an art gallery. And uh, it's a good blend of both a physical and a digital experience coming together to make an overall experience because the artists have to register online, the venues have to register online, and then they're sort of like an you know, online dating thing that goes on between the two. Then once we they sort of like couple up, um, the voters, the people coming, the attendees get to come and download an application and vote either via mobile device or they could go online. But they're sort of starting to explore the city, view maps online and mm-hmm. be able to, to vote on a digital experience. And all of that, getting them registered and thinking through that experience was just something that was both, that was my first encounter in blending physical and digital experiences together. And and I think that there's so much that we forget even as digital designers, if you're just really focused in on a digital experience, that a digital experience is often experienced in a physical mm-hmm. setting. So if you're thinking about health insurance, for example. Are they trying to figure that out at work? Are they trying to figure that out at home? I mean, on their phone, in front of a computer. So I I just think you often have to think of the environment of which that thing is going to be 
interfaced with mm-hmm. as part of that overall experience. And I think that was also a really pivotal moment, just realizing that it's not just the screen, it's the entire environment. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't even know you did that. I didn't know you were part of the Art Prize. But yeah, I was wow. part of the founding team. So I worked on Art Prize year one through year three. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, you've had a, you've been, you've kind of bounced around everywhere. Yeah. And you had your own thing for a while too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, t- take us a little bit through. All right, so like, I'll take what, you through yeah. my journey. Yeah, uh, what's your journey? So <laughs> I, um, I spent seven years at Party Health, which is a local health insurance company, and they're now part of Spectrum Health, which is a larger health system. So I built mainly, I started out building all of the web applications that that they have for their different portals for members and their doctors and their um, employer systems. So I did that for seven years. I switched gears and went into startup land. So I actually was part of Rick DeVos's first startup called Spout, which was sort of a community-based movie review website, but it was a little early on the scene. So it was pre-Facebook as a household name. IMDB was around, Rotten Tomatoes was around, but the idea of rating movies, like even through Netflix and stuff, wasn't yet sort wow. of happening. So it was maybe just, it hit the market too early. Yeah, I still, I I still feel like, that. right? Yes, now, you know, it's weird. And then um, from there, we ended up moving that entire Spout team into the Art Prize team. Mm-hmm. So we had worked together previously. Oh. I think that was really part of its success because we weren't sort of building the team and building something new at the same time. So we did Art Prize uh, as sort of a the next spin-off for him as his next startup venture. And then from there I ended up going into Visual Hero. So I did a little consulting. So oh, I went into God. a design studio and I realized there that I love to nurture. I am a nurturer <laughs> at heart. So so taking a product from an idea all the way through implementation is really important for me. And in that design studio, we were only doing a piece of the pie. So I was doing sort of the beginning strategy and research and then influencing how the digital experience would work, but we weren't actually building the digital experience and launching the digital experience. So that other half of it, I was, wasn't doing. And I realized how much I missed it. So mm-hmm. then I ended up going off on my own. And I did that for a while until I got picked up by another startup in town and called Varsity News Network. And they're really focused around the high school mm-hmm. uh, sports scene. And I worked there for a year and a half before Herman Miller yeah, yeah, opportunity I came along. I think that's around when we met too, when you were at VNN. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, we share a mutual friend, Laura. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so we've kind of talked a little bit about your journey, a little about what UX is. So, what's next for UX? With technology becoming more and more prominent, you know, how does that mix together more? How how you know what what happens next on the design scene for UX? Mm-hmm. I think I think I love. I love design so much because it's never static. It's always evolving. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, there's a couple things I'm really interested in. One is that I see user experience design actually shifting or has the potential to shift into service design. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges with UX is that if you are doing, let's just say, an interface, you're working on that particular interface for a period of time, and it's like out in the world and it's done. 
but the opportunity for you to create larger, broader, more impactful customer experiences is, is really beyond the screen. And service design allows you to take and build customer journeys and then take that through the entire, how does an organization actually organize themselves and align around a customer journey? Mm. Because so often, what if you think of a customer journey as, like with Herman Miller, a customer is going to want to come on and understand what the product is, how the product could be used in their in their space, and um, and, ha- and probably has some questions along the way. So they may be talking with a dealer, they may be talking with a local rep, and how does all how do all of those touch points kind of align to create a really good experience for them when they go and purchase the product? Mm-hmm. And so often in larger organizations, you become a little siloed. So you have like, if you're just doing the interface, you have one piece of the pie, but you might not realize that your one piece of the pie has lots of other sort of touch points along the customer journey. I think the opportunity is to think broader and for user experience designers to work inside organizations to actually create more organizational alignment and change around those bigger customer journeys. So thinking about things beyond the screen. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. So, so what do you think about this idea of these interdisciplinary teams? So pretty much like an architect with mm-hmm. a UX designer, with a product designer, with a graphic designer to yeah. solve these problems as a whole. Do you think that is where it's going? Is that yes. what you're saying? And not even like a designer. I think in some cases you might have to work with um, people who aren't designers. Yeah. So no, you, but I do think the more collaborative you can get, that's actually where the world's going to go because yeah. they're, everything is so omni-channel, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just one thing anymore it's all the things coming together so I think that that's super exciting the other thing I think about technology right now is that the evolution of the the non-interfaces so if Mm -hmm. you think of right now we think of interfaces as screens right Mm -hmm. and you have a you might have a phone, you might have a desktop, you might have a laptop, you might have a tablet so you're designing for all these different screens but as you think of it expanding into the worlds of the Alexas and the Google Homes and you're now moving away from the screen. So what's the user experience when you start to create truly ambient technology where the technology is just reacting to the user in space versus having the user have to react to a thing in Mm -hmm. space. Very Black Mirror. um. Yeah, very Black Mirror. (laughs) But I love that. And as technology gets embedded into physical products like a table Mm -hmm. or a chair, how does that give feedback to the user that is it is it in a device? Is it giving feedback through a device? Or is it giving feedback in physical touch? Mm -hmm. Or is there some other method where it's starting to communicate with the users or react to users in the room? Well, what technology has done, I think, really well, in some ways bad because Facebook's a little bit in trouble for it now, is also tracking tracking behaviors and, and you know, mm-hmm. all, all these other things that make us human. Mm-hmm. They're tracking information and, and they're using it for something. Right. <laughs> we won't say what because it's, it's different things. But, I mean, when, when does that become physical also? Mm-hmm. Like, when do we start to track that? You know, you're you're talking about integration into technology, into tables, into mm-hmm. you know hardware. Mm-hmm. So when does that become physical? You know, that that's yeah. kind of an interesting I mean, idea. We do it digitally, or you know, yeah. but that's you know, already happening. 
Yeah, well, yeah, they have those fa- facial well, mm-hmm. facial recognition. I, yeah. I see that. It's going to change it a lot. At Herman Miller, we are building experiences based on sensors, oh, wow. understanding usage of tables, of chairs, of rooms, of space, and tracking patterns, trying to make sure that the spaces are going to be the most uh, useful for the end user and for the, the organizations that are investing in it. So if you're a large organization and you've got to fill a huge floor plate, a huge office space, you want to make sure that that office space is being used yeah. and that there aren't sort of empty or dead areas that nobody wants to hang out in. Yeah. So I think that we are, look, we are looking at that and that that's the way of the future. Or even like the smart home. Yeah. I mean, if you think about everything from keyless entry mm-hmm. to being able to have your light serve yeah. you, like understand where you are in, yeah. in the space and turn on for you, maybe even without you having to ask them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, I feel like that's a super exciting yeah, direction. That, no, it is. Yeah, we worked on a, I worked on a project with a couple of guys you know too, that that's exactly what it was. It was like going into modes of, of like what we do. So what's mm-hmm. cooking mode? What is like relax mode? What's sleep mode? It's it's weird to think, man, we can keep simplifying our life. Like where's that point though, you know? I think that the privacy issue that you brought up with Facebook is something that needs to be considered mm-hmm. because if everything is ambient, it's, it's sort of like even Alexa, like is she always listening? And then mm-hmm. is she always recording? Is, are there, <laughs> are there just yeah. like, you know, databases and databases full of just mm-hmm. these recorded scenarios that I just think you, we need to be more attentive to mm-hmm. that. And I think as users, as any users, we have to figure out, we have to be aware, I think, of are we opting in for that? What are we opting mm-hmm. in for? And Absolutely even just the silly terms of use that nobody reads on websites or in devices where you just scroll through all the legal stuff and you hit agree. You know, are we actually really aware of what we just agreed to? Right. They're going to get higher. I mean, like I said, we, I think 10 years ago, we wouldn't have thought that Facebook, you know, that all that stuff we scrolled through, it means something. (laughs) Right. You know, I think, I think those agreements are completely different now. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, um, you're female, right? You're yeah. Female. Okay, I thought so. I didn't want to. I didn't want to assume <laughs> anything. <laughs> no, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, Me Too movement. You know, uh, all this is going on. So, as a female designer, do you feel? I guess what what's your take uh, on the Me Too movement? How does it fit in design? Also, mm-hmm. you know, that's a great question. All the boys' clubs everywhere. I mean, I don't think that's it's changed a little, but not. Yeah, I think. I am so happy the Me Too movement is going on. I think it brings such a much needed awareness to the inequality that women have to deal with every day. And I, as a woman in technology, am very aware of the lack of women in technology. There are so many times where I'm sitting in a meeting and literally I'm the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. And the way that I get treated isn't always appropriate. And I think that elevating the need for men to be accountable for their actions is huge. Mm -hmm. What I think, though, with that, the end solution for that is going to be everybody paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now it's definitely women standing up, having a voice, being heard, and organizations starting to shift and say, we hear you and we're going to make some changes. Mm -hmm. However, 
it's just the beginning. You know, you, we all have to be aware. I, as a woman, need to be aware of how I'm hiring, how I'm treating other women, mm-hmm. how I'm treating other men. Men need to be aware of how they hold the keys often inside organizations and need to be more proactive about elevating women into positions of leadership inside an organization. Being very aware of how, even in a meeting, how they treat women. Mm-hmm. Are they giving everybody a voice at the table? Are they listening? Because I know there's some things I can't change about mm-hmm. myself. I have a, a fairly soft voice and I <laughs> try to speak up and I want to be heard. You can get mansplained over. I easy. get mansplained <laughs> all the time. It's so frustrating. So I, you know, that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. It happens. It's just part of the culture. And I think it's, it's really going to take a cultural change for us to start to see some shifts. Yeah, but it's great. It's happening. I mean, it's so interesting. I know, I know what you mean though. It's it's a little bit different because um, I think this go around, women probably have it the most rough. I mean, and it's been like the thing. It's been like that I, I, mm-hmm. for a long time. But I, I I am lots of times the only minority sitting yeah. in a boardroom. You know, <laughs> talking talking. It's it's not something I I think about. But when you do realize it, it's kind of like oh, that's kind of funny. And, yeah. Not funny in haha way. <laughs> no. Funny and kind of like, oh, you know, things do need to change. And and yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think this is a big one. This is, you know, it, it, it's not like a industry. It's every industry. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is just how long so many generations of women have just put up with it. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't felt like they've had a position of power to speak out. And... Ultimately, it's creating a, it's creating an awareness, but it's it's realizing that everybody has to have a has to stand up. Mm-hmm. Everybody does, and the women that are standing up now, and the women that have to stand up in the future, and mm-hmm. tomorrow, and every day after that, it's just. I think that just has to be part of our culture. It has to be able yeah. to be okay to say this is wrong, mm-hmm. and, and, and you have to keep unifying. Absolutely, that, I think that's the key. Is just. Everyone has to be unified to move mm-hmm. forward. Right. Um, and you're right. The, the keys, you know, men do hold those keys. So yep. when we see things or we hear things, I, I think as a man, like, you know, lots of times you will hear vulgar things or things that are a little bit off that said about a woman. And you have to make that decision. Do you just kind of ignore it? You know, well, I'm not like that. So, it, you know, you feel like if you're not like that, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, do you need to correct you know, mm-hmm. those people, especially in the workplace? Yeah, I would um, say yes. Yeah, yeah no, please do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was getting, I was saying yes, but I was more posing the question. I'm yeah, like, no, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of like not. <laughs> but I think that's a problem. The, the people who hold the keys have had it their way for so long mm-hmm. that it's like, well, why do we got to change? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. It's like politically cor- political correctness, also. Right. It's kind of the same thing. But why can't we say that? Because you're not the one. It's hurting. Like, yeah, that's why you don't understand. Why can't I say that? Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's ultimately going to be just such a, it's a systemic issue and it's going to take mm-hmm. many, many systems in place and every, every voice to fix it, mm-hmm. male oh, and female. So if you weren't a designer, what would you do? If I wasn't a designer, which is really, really hard to imagine because I feel like I've been a designer since birth, but if I wasn't a designer, I think I would be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I think that there's lots of aspects about human behavior that user experience designers end up having 
to understand and learn about. And uh, you just you just end up interfacing with it when you engage with other human beings. Mm-hmm. You're like, why do human beings do this thing? Or why are all the human beings in, in this study kind of drifting or trending towards this other thing uh, that I didn't expect? So I think the human brain is fascinating. And I think that the potential of understanding why we do what we do is just uh, endless and so fascinating to me. Yeah, you'd be a good one. I mean, it's not too late. You would probably be working with designers if you were. Though. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be on the team, that interdisciplinary team we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, no, but um, yeah, thanks for sitting down and talking. It, it was really great. I, I think it's good for the audience to hear what UX is and just get to know you. So. Thank you for the opportunity. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening, guys.